Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. So we have been continuing to have lots of awesome conversations with people who are thinking about ideas of faith in new and creative ways. And just last week, actually, we were up in Minneapolis and had a handful of conversations that were really, really great, a good yeah, time. Yeah. Um, but we're really excited to share one of those with you today. Yeah, we caught up with uh, Ben Grace and Carla Godwin a couple days ago as they were about to release a song they co-wrote called Preacher's Daughter. Ben is a musician originally from Australia and currently living here in the States. Carla is a writer, podcaster, and lead organizer of a of an organization called She Is Called. It's a collective of women and female-identifying people who want to see the emergence of the feminine in culture and faith. We caught up with Carla in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Ben joined us remotely from Colorado. Yeah, we had a great conversation, and we are so excited to share it with you. So with that, welcome to Sandbox Cooperative, episode 78. I wonder what the preacher's daughter said. Welcome to the Sandbox. So we're sitting down today with Ben Grace and Carla Godwin, and we just wanted to start off by having you guys share a little bit about who you are and um, what are you passionate about? What do you do? Absolutely. Um, so I'm Carla, maybe obviously. <laughs> um, and uh, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I have two daughters. I spend a lot of time with them. They're fantastic humans, 12 and 5. Um, my work life, uh, I spend time on an organization called She Is Called. I'm the director and founder of that. What we do there is open conversations with women, particularly women from faith contexts, about ambition and calling and passion. Um, we do a podcast. We do events. We just got done. Um, in Chicago, we hosted the Women Connect event at QCF, the Q Christian Fellowship Conference, um, and helped create the program for that, which was fantastic. Um, we're planning an event in Barcelona, hopefully this spring, which is exciting with women in um, Western European churches. Um, so that's super, super fun. We do a podcast there that I co-host and then um, do the events. Let's see, what else do I do with my time? I love to read. I read a lot. I'm a literary nerd, master's degree in literature. Um, so I do a podcast also called Holy Writ, where I talk to people about what they're reading and writing, um, just kind of literary nerd time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's most of what I do with my time. Hang out at Solomon's Porch, which is where we're recording today. Yeah. <laughs> so, nice. yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And, and Ben, how would you, what would you have to share? Well, I'm an Australian singer-songwriter. I've lived in the States for seven years, uh, mostly in Brooklyn for most of that time, although since Memorial Day of 2018, I've been in 25 different states and three different countries. So my, my role has shifted a little bit where I'm spending a lot more time uh, on my own artistic endeavors uh, rather than kind of spending as much time in church world that I have been in for, for, for years and years. Um, so yeah, I've been writing a lot of stuff around uh, a lot of social justice uh, causes. I've, I've released five singles so far in 2018, and I've got another three coming out, and we're talking about one of them today. Uh, Preacher's Daughter, which is out in just a couple of days. Awesome. I think that's it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm currently in Lyons, Colorado, which is kind of weird. Like I went to the, you know to Denver for the winter, and then I'll be uh, relocating to San Diego in a, in a few weeks. So I'm a, a citizen of the world at this point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So you mentioned uh, the song that we were actually that sparked this conversation, uh, Preacher's Daughter. And from what I understand, the two of you co-wrote this. So mm -hmm. I guess, first of all, tell us a little bit about the song and then maybe you know, you each kind of bring your own passions to the table. What for you inspired this song? And, and maybe if it connects, how does it connect to the, the other work you're doing? Yeah, I, my memory, I, I have a terrible memory. So I don't remember how we got started with this conversation, but the conversation uh, between Carl and I was around uh, a lot of our own trauma around church and sexuality and a lot of our own experiences with both feeling silenced in the church. I think um, 
not speak for Carla, but for her from a perspective of female um, silencing, but for me as an artist as well, feeling mm. that same kind of tension that I think has always existed in church between the arts and creativity and, and uh, the institution. Um, so that's kind of where the song kind of got started from our own personal conversations. And I think it was around the time of the She Is Called um, conference in May last year. Is that right, Carla? Yeah, I think it was right before or after that, that this all yeah. fell out of you and that I helped craft. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I'm right, I write most days. And so I think one day I was just sort of writing around this prompt. Um, I think there's a the line that, I was, that came to me when I was talking to Carla once about I wonder what the preacher's daughter said, because that's part of Carla's story is mm-hmm. growing up as a preacher's daughter. And then I just wrote a whole bunch of prompts and then sent it over to her to be like, what do you think? Uh, so yeah, I'll throw it to you and maybe yeah. you remember more of this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, we do that from time to time, send each other things that we're writing a lyric or a, I write some poetry and nonfiction stuff. And so just kind of um, that creative support for each other when you're mm-hmm. trying to do a thing that is you're, you're going to ask the world to listen to, <laughs> to have somebody you trust listen to it first is yeah. important, right. I think. Right. Um, so Ben's correct. I'm a pastor's kid. And so I think that that came out in some of our conversation and we were processing how um, when you grow up in a purity culture context, which is, you know, the Yelp familiar with purity yeah. culture. So purity culture began actually in the 90s and it was an abstinence only education, but in a faith context, which made it... Um, uh, where sex and sexual desire and all of those things were, were sin. They were to be avoided at all costs. It was a, a real um, commitment to avoiding sexuality, really. Not just like don't have sex, but if you have sexual desire, that's where mm-hmm. um, you might move into sin. So you're supposed to squash it at the place of desire. Um, and that's the thing that I think is the most interesting because if you squash desire in one place and you, you tell people to, that desire is an inappropriate feeling, you squash it in lots of places. Mm. So when I talk to women about what they desire and what their ambitions are, part of what we do often is go back to their um, upbringing in terms of sexuality and say, how were you taught to relate to your desire? Um, and so thinking through how women men and women in purity culture um, have been trained to cut themselves off from desire rather than manage, right? Manage and suppression are two different things. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying one shouldn't manage desire. I am saying that suppressing desire or separating oneself from it as if it's sin or shameful is another thing. And that's what we were taught to do in purity culture. Um, So that process, I think, of separating one from their desire is a really damaging one in lots of ways. Um, And then I think women have an uh, especially, I also grew up in a complementarian culture, which is one that says Mm -hmm. men are leaders, women are helpers, and that that's a God-ordained structure. Um, So in that, women are often told to quiet, not just their sexual desire, but their ambition, their hopes, a lot of things, and align them with what the men in their community and lives are doing. Um, so that that's where a lot of that came from in me, like thinking through what would I have said sooner <laughs> if mm-hmm. I had been allowed desire and if I had been allowed to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I remember you sending me, what you sent me was, I mean, almost a fully crafted song and then there were a Mm -hmm. few lines i'm like i think we could do that you could do this here and i here's what i see about that and so it it got but i remember you telling me that day like this just came out of me like from that Mm. line i wonder what the preacher's daughter said this just came out of me and i mostly was like um yeah it's fantastic (laughs) and here's a spot that i feel like this could change or you could do this here this is what this verse seems to be saying to me how would you change that and so mostly from that fully formed bit I just got to reflect back and help shape um Mm. and it's I love it so yeah I mean I had a very similar background um 
which is very repressive of women. So <clears throat> women weren't allowed to have any thoughts whatsoever and weren't allowed to speak out loud within the public gathering. Uh, even on the Wednesday night kind of church, which was supposed to be more informal and, you know, kind of relaxed, uh, women were not allowed to speak out loud. If they had a thought, they had to write down and hand it to their husband. And if their hu- husband wasn't present, they had to hand it to the closest male. Uh, and I think there's some link, I think, between this uh, complementarian culture that Carl's talking about and purity culture, because once you silence one thing, you silence the other. Mm. Um, and kind of the, for me in the church I grew up in, we just never really talked about sex at all. Um, once you maybe got to kind of you know the later <laughs> youth group, we finally got talking about lines and and you know all of those same stupid metaphors you hear about like if you you know if you do this thing then you dirty it and you make it muddy and then you're broken and you can't get fixed. Uh, but overall, the thing that was rattling around in my head when we were on this song was the silence. The, when you don't talk about something, when you don't let the desire happen, when you squash something really early on. So I think this song very much fell out of that conversation that Kyle and I were having just as people in the world uh, was very much resonant with me. And so the song has come out of uh, both of your experiences as far as kind of growing up in a church tradition that tried to silence voices, right? Yep. And rather yep. than chucking the whole thing, you're both hmm. still on this journey of, of faith and connected to the, the Jesus narrative in, in some way. And, and like, how, how is how is that? How how do you do that? You what know, is like, how that? do you stay there? Why? Why are you still in the house? <laughs> That's a great question. It's really hard to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm lost somewhere in the mansions, California. you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think for me, the question is, I, right now in my life, I don't know, honestly. I think that the narrative is so strong um, that I grew up with that I, I you grew up in this cult-like Christadelphian movement, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, the what, what so is that? Not, I didn't I didn't hear that. It's called Christadelphian is the movement. Okay, so it's that. not it's not mainstream Christian. Has a lot of divergent views. Uh, so I've wandered away from that. You know, since moving to the states, I went up in in Brooklyn and started at what was to begin with sort of an evangelical church, and then we kind of uh, moved on from that. I was very much a fan of the idea of an interdenominational church rather than a non-denominational church. Meaning that we borrow from a lot of different streams mm-hmm. um, and allow people to have their traditions and their kind of uh, where they started. They can take that with them. Um, because I think what I realized was that New York is a place that is kind of like a third culture place anyway. Like everyone uh, in, well, not everyone, but most people in New York are from somewhere else. And so I think that also was reflected religiously that people often landed in New York and were trying to find a, a third way, another mm-hmm. way that was away from mm-hmm. maybe the church of their youth and maybe the church of their, their college that they both maybe had either rejected or moved away from. So to me, that was very important and I think is very important in this world that we move into within the church that I think denominations are, are kind of seeing a lot of uh, crumbling and I think there's a lot of lines that are shifting. Um, and so I'm interested in that because I think the journey of faith is bigger than like our label and bigger than what we kind of uh, want to slap on top of it, that I'm a Christian. I think that I'm a person that has always been on this journey towards finding out what the divine means for me and for other people. Um, and that's that's where I'm at is I'm just still searching like almost desperately <laughs> underneath all of these layers to try and find uh, what this meaning is for me. Mm. I think that's a really good question. Um, I have had times where I've been completely out of it seven years at a time where I just didn't attend church or, mm-hmm. or any of that. Um, and then I had kids and kids sort of remind you that you have a spiritual component to your being. Right. Um, 
and and I also I think of myself in terms of my Christianity as a Christian by heritage a little mm. bit. Like mm. Christianity is my heritage and it's a thing I want my children to know about me and about their family and about themselves. Um, so for me, Christian thinking is when I think about my spirituality, I think I will have my richest conversations in my native language, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I think I could approach spiritual conversation from a lot of different angles at this point and wouldn't feel that any of them were inappropriate or or didn't work but i think because this is my native language i'll have my richest spiritual conversations in this language that of course depends on starting to see the boundaries of the language and how it's been used in the past mm -hmm. and being able to push past those into what might be other spiritual meanings of the same things that we've heard a yeah. hundred a hundred times um so for me it's a lot that i i see christianity as a portal into deeper christianity not an end point um, mm -hmm. so it's a conduit for me into the broader spiritual conversation mm -hmm. and it's one entry point into that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I value it in that way. Like it actually has all the richness that it needs to have all the spiritual conversations that Buddhism would have or Hinduism mm -hmm. or any of the other things that we might approach spiritual thinking through Christianity isn't lacking in terms of what it has to offer that conversation, I don't think. Um, and it has some components that I just really value in terms of thinking around grace and around, um, it's a hard thing for me to articulate, uh, but that, that in Christianity, it's very much a God reaching toward humanity mm -hmm. and an incarnational God rather than humanity reaching toward God. Mm -hmm. And so that's a thing I value in the Christian spiritual conversation as well. Um, but I, I, uh, yeah, Christianity for me at this point is, is a heritage that I value a lot and a conversation that I, I do want to keep having, but my relationship to it has shifted significantly. Um, and I think I similarly, I'm always seeking like, what is divinity? If I, if I let it be something other than the little masculine, not little, <laughs> the big masculine, you know, commander in the sky, um, thing, what is yeah. it? If it's not that. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I've been <clears throat> clinging on to the last few years in terms of the story of Christianity is resurrection. And I think that's why I'm still around is because I think that is the primary story that I'm interested in. And uh, when I came across the States and got involved with church here uh, and asked my old boss, kind of what does worship look like? And he used the word liturgy. And I was like, I don't know what that word means. <laughs> uh, and my experiences with the liturgical church were just like, this feels like we're trying to read the words and get them right, as if you know, liturgy was a thing to be one rather than a, uh, a practice to be embodied. And I'm very much interested in embodied religion. This is something that Carl and I talk about a lot, uh, is how does this religion make its way down out of our minds and our belief systems into our bodies? Um, and I think resurrection is one of those things. And so as I've practiced the liturgical calendar and go through the rhythm of Advent and Epiphany and Lent and Easter, what I've realized is this is the cycle of our lives. Like this is not just Jesus' life, which it is, not just practicing and walking through Jesus' footsteps, but every single one of us are going to have moments in our life where we're longing and waiting for something like Advent. And then we're going to have moments where we see the light and we kind of, you know, very excitedly embrace kind of the world. But then we get through darker periods of doubt and questioning and where are you, God? And what is this life about? And this feels crappy and I feel, you know, like I'm going to die. And then we experience resurrection and we go through that, those, those patterns over and over again, not just once. We don't experience resurrection once as people of faith. We experience that multiple times throughout our life. And so that's the thing that I think that I'm... Uh, 
really clinging onto is that that's the model and that's the pattern and that's being kind of laid before us to say the Jesus story is the everyman story that you know the the Joseph Campbell hero story that we kind of get to walk through that our lives are so wound up in this um, this whole cycle one of the things in our conversations about embodiment that is interesting to me is what Christianity has often done is tried to say that we are under threat of sin all the time and that we're uh, depraved so that we're bent towards sin. Um, Paul's uh, writing, in God we live and move and have our being, implies that there is no way to be outside of God. And that gives you... That gives you the spaciousness and the freedom to make mistakes, mm-hmm. and to to listen to what's internal to you, and to kind of to to ask your questions of the world. And we, as Christianity, has often been really hard on on mistakes as sin. Mm-hmm. And I yep. I think that it's important to have a sense of where is there spaciousness in this faith? How can we create spaciousness for actual um, questioning? And I don't just mean like doctrinal doubts but like your your life as you go through your life mm-hmm. and you hit these hard moments and you don't understand and you you either just succumb or you act and that acting might be less than you know it might be clumsy <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but how do we start to remember one another mm-hmm. as humans who are who are trying to understand our world by asking yeah. questions and make each other safe enough to do that mm-hmm. work um and and that I think is just a it's a tricky thing in the Christian walk. We we even in progressive spaces, um, try to let our si- ourselves be uh, I don't know less about morals or or something. And yeah. I don't mean morals should go out, but we try to expand things. And and there's still a sense of where do we get down to each other's humanity mm-hmm. and what our deep embodied questions are. And how do we hold that? Because that's hard work and it's clumsy. Yeah, I, I love that. I think for me, one of the ways this relates to this song is what Carl said about mistakes, I think is so profound because I feel like the way we talk about sin often as if that's the end, you know, we, we make a mistake, like we sleep with someone when we're 16 and then our life is over. Like a lot of the language uh, in purity culture is around if you use up this one gift of sexuality, then you're done and discarded. And I think that's really disturbing, honestly. But I think if we believe in this idea of death and resurrection, that when we do go through moments of humiliation and death and we make mistakes, that resurrection is right around the corner. That forgiveness is one of the core teachings of Christianity. Um, And I think we've wandered a little bit from that. And I think it's important to kind of, to think about when you make a mistake, what is God's response? And I think we've Mm -hmm. always seen God's response as a big, angry daddy in the sky who he turns around at the kid and screams at them uh i remember a few years ago actually i saw this i was sitting in sydney traffic which is legendary kind of much like <laughs> la <laughs> and uh i was losing my mind i was on my way to work and i was going to be late and i'm sitting there kind of getting stirred up and i watched this almost as if a parable came account in front of me but it definitely happened in my life where i saw this woman walking along and she's on the phone and she's just clearly flustered. her whole body language is caught up in this thing and she's just you can see that she's processing something and she's crossing the street and what I noticed is about six feet or nine feet behind her was her child and her child was playing with something had something in her hands was juggling with something and as the woman crossed she didn't look either way she was just caught up in this conversation she was having and then this child crossed behind her and then in the middle of the road dropped what looked like the, these jigsaw puzzle pieces like in the middle of the road and just dropped them. And then she cried out 
and you could see the mother turn around and the mother like came screaming at her just like was so angry and you know I, and was just trying to like pick up these pieces and get across the road and like in that moment i just thought i don't think that's what god is like like i don't think god is running ahead of us and then turning around and unloading anger and unloading disappointment on us i think god comes across and helps us pick up the puzzle pieces and says try again like it's okay you're totally fine like nothing happened um, and that's definitely been kind of the central thought that I've thought about around sexuality as well is that we get we get a chance a second chance and third chance we're actually going to get to do this over and over again and we're not you know damaged by this thing mm-hmm. that this is another thing in our life that we kind of actually have the gift and the freedom and the beauty to explore um, and you know obviously there are boundaries to that too but that's you know that is up for us to, to decide and to to try and understand it, it it makes me wonder it's something that we've that chris and i have talked about a lot and it's do we start with blessing or do, do we start with sin do we start with blessing or do we start with depravity to me it's the it's it's original blessing and and if we've, if we begin in the beginning that's where it is and so I think we've flipped it mm-hmm. uh, in, in a lot of, I should say a lot of Christian culture has flipped it. And, and I think we're hopefully rediscovering uh, that it starts with blessing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of curious um, as your story and understanding of this tradition, this heritage that you've been, been given and, and you're trying to find your way through it. I think sometimes even when we want that, we can be, we can be really blinded. Like the, the story can be so forceful that we're given that like we can't, see an alternate way around or a different way through um yeah i'm just curious what advice you might give to somebody to to keep pushing through that to keep finding uh where their place is in that and and how it can be helpful and healthy rather than than maybe destructive um i can i can try to speak to that first first to the total depravity question though i think in the work that i do one of the things i do talk about is um trying to help women hear their own internal voice um, I think uh, we have often externalized the voice of God as if it's outside of us, and and often in um, patriarchal cultures, then it's also through a male that we get the mm-hmm. voice of God. So, teaching women to hear an internal voice and believe that that's a divine voice, mm-hmm. um, and that the voice of God can sound feminine, <laughs> and that that's um, a thing. I, I have to. I've had to teach myself to believe that my own internal voice was something I could believe. And total depravity is the first place we cut people off from their internal voices. I believe is to say that what's inside of you is not to be trusted. That's mm-hmm. the thing you're supposed to act against. Right. Um, and so I think learning to really actually listen to what's internal and, and learn where where is this something I need to manage and where is this something I need to engage and how do I engage it. I think we'd be a lot better off teaching our children that than your internal voice is likely sinful and you should listen to someone outside yourself to know what you need to do um, and help them learn how to actually sort what's internal. <laughs> I think would be wonderful. Um, so, so in terms of like what I would teach, that's what yeah. I, I spend time with my children, talking with them about what's knowing what's embodied in them, knowing where their feelings sit in their body, what those feelings are, how to articulate them. That's a thing I care about with them. That's what I do in my work um, with women is just try to invite conversation about what's alive in you. That's a question we ask a lot at our conferences when we start. What's alive in you right now? Are you anxious? Are you, and just spend some time paying attention to what's internal and then speak it out. Um, I think that's a way to build relationship and intimacy and everything else. following up on the rest of that conversation, moving people uh, or helping people process yeah. how to st- how to stay. Um, 
and not even i mean not with the expectation of staying that they stay, but, just, but like just processing the spiritual. helping helping people understand that um it can be helpful if it if it can be right <laughs> well that and that's sense. yeah i would say i don't necessarily have a an agenda to have people yeah. stay in a christian conversation i think some people will be served by it and some probably and some won't. won't um but i i do think my christian understanding has been really helped by reading other things outside of christianity and and part of the deal is i was so immersed in it in my young life and then i went to bible college and then mm -hmm. so i know that story really well down to the words of it i know it I know it really well. So when I read other things, I can feel reflections of Christianity and other mm -hmm. other conversations. Um, and that that's probably partly because I was so immersed in it. But I think reading other things has given me another perspective on it that has helped it be op more open and more free and more interesting just because I'm bringing all these other things to bear on it. Where in my young Christian life, I was encouraged not ever to do that, that this is the only thing you should sure. read. You shouldn't engage other other ideologies, other spiritualities, because it might disperse or, or water down this. And I actually think that's the best way to water down this, yeah. is to not see how it engages the other things around right. it. Right. So it, and it, it does engage things. I don't think God needs to be defended. I, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good story, <laughs> you know? So, so, uh, I think, let's see, what else would I say about that? Um, I also think I would, and this is going to sound off probably, but I would, I would encourage question asking all through your being. Like, don't just encourage things cognitive. Don't just ask things cognitively. Figure out what's in you, and move. Don't be inactive. Like, move. Make the mistakes you need to make. Mm -hmm. Do the things you need to do, and embody the things you need to know. Um, I, I, I just think I think that that matters. I think we scare people into inaction often, and it's partly the thing Ben was talking about purity culture is the best illustration of it but i think it is in all aspects of our lives not just our sexuality but the whole idea i know i grew up thinking if i misbehaved sexually i would be ontologically changed not just that i would have sinned but i would be ontologically a different thing my mm -hmm. being would be changed to such a degree that i would no longer be acceptable yeah. <laughs> um and that and that was i was sure of that um and i think that those things move us toward paralysis and inaction yeah. more often than anything um and so i i would just say we are free to make the mistakes we need to make that doesn't mean be careless it does mean you are okay <laughs> you are yeah. okay mm -hmm. to move and to act um and that that's a i think that's a hard thing for us as a as a faith to wrestle with um and it also doesn't mean that there aren't very real consequences to your actions there are um and that matters so um don't disregard those but i, I just think it would help people so much not to be paralyzed yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean mm -hmm. um and i think for me i often felt paralysis too and that my internal voice was often saying things about speaking pastoring those kinds of things and the external voices were telling me that those weren't okay yeah so i had a constant sense of like dissonance between what was happening inside and what was happening outside and there was no way for me to move with that external voice and still be in god in my mind but so what was happening inside of me had to get stifled out and paralyzed down to nothing and that was an impossible way to function. Right. Um, so those things, that balance between what's happening inside me and how do I engage the world around me with care and love and also engage what's happening internally for me um, is, 
just a tr- it's a tricky thing to do and i don't think we have given our kids tools in christianity to do it very well yeah i have a, I have a great story that comes straight off the back of that uh, I, for seven years i taught uh, after school music tuition and i the one thing i did never wanted to do was be a teacher because my dad was a teacher but you know you learn as you get older that you are your parents so there's there's that <laughs> uh, but i had this moment was one kid that was trying to teach andrew and he was actually a very gifted intuitive musician but a horrible uh proficient musician so like his 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 technique was was awful but in terms of how he understood music and how he embodied music in himself he was brilliant at it like he was a much better songwriter than he was a piano player Hmm. Um, but we didn't figure that out for a couple of years but there's one piece that we're trying to get through and he had this one moment where every time he got to this this section of the piece he would just come unraveled and what i you know every week i'd be like okay so this week what we're gonna do is we're gonna tackle this section and we're gonna like gonna slow it down i'm gonna play it like this and 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 what i realized was that uh about about three months into him trying to learn this piece of music one day he came in and i watched his body language as he approached this piece of music which i had highlighted and I had circled and I'd put big <laughs> stars around and and he, he, all, he could, all he could see when you looked at the page was just this one section like the hardest section and I watched his whole body go like really stiff and he started breathing through his nose like <laughs> like his whole body body like he just was melting down as he was approaching this this the cliff he could see mm-hmm. here's the bit I'm going to fall off on and in that moment, I was just like, stop. And I grabbed his hands. I picked them off of the thing. I took the piece of paper out of his folder. I tore them up. I went and you know, re-photocopied the piece and put it in front of him. Because I realized that what we had been doing was focusing on the hard thing, right? We'd been focusing on the thing he sucked at. And it was just not doing him very well. And I wasn't until after that, I realized that's what we do with, with church is that we focus on sin so much. We focus on the mistake. We focus on the brokenness. And we're just never going to get past it. And I think one of the things that one of the pieces of scripture that's been speaking to me over the years is that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the, the cross and the shame. And I think that sometimes we need to think about the thing beyond the thing. Like we're never going to maybe overcome some of the things that are naturally innate to us that we struggle with. That's just a reality that we have thorns in our flesh, that we have addictions, that we have things that we're just not good at, quite frankly. Um, you know, But it's like this idea of trying to take a kid who's a four in a math and try and get them to a, a an eight instead of realizing they're an, an eight in English and they should just focus on the things they're good at. Um, so that's been something I've been thinking about is, is when I talk to people is try not to focus on the things that you think are wrong about you or the things you need to change. Like that, that, that stuff may never actually get a lot better, but try and focus on the things about you that are good. It's getting back to that idea mm-hmm. of original blessing. Like, how were you created good? What is in you that is unique in the world, that is beautiful, that is the thing that you need to speak? So that's the one thing I talk to people a lot about. Um, the other thing is realizing for me that I'm, that I always and have been and probably always will be a border stalker with people of faith, that part of my role as an artist um, is to have that sort of voice that speaks out and, and kind of that prophetic kind of nature of telling stories that we haven't necessarily told. Um, and I think this is where I'm actually kind of honestly excited <laughs> coming to America. Uh, I had a, a pretty limited understanding of, of kind of what the evangelical church was and what it, what it, and it took me only a couple of months to realize, oh my God, like what has actually happened here is, is Christianity has been co-opted, uh, has co-opted by capitalism. Mm-hmm. 
and an evangelical church has just sold people a bunch of things mm. and this one one size fits all spirituality in the same way you would just be one size fits all consumerism product is just not working for so many people uh, but i think what i'm also realizing is the fear that is instilled with people when you lose your tribe or when you lose that identity is so so yeah. strong and i think uh right now out here in left hand church in colorado where working through Jonathan Haidt's book called The Righteous Mind and talking about how we're all set up and how we have these, you know, three things that move us from uh, this idea of the freedom of the individual or the the rights of the tribe or the rights of the gods, the three things that kind of move us kind of morally. And I think for a lot of people, the fear of losing your family and your tribe is, is really terrifying. Uh, but I think what I need to say to people, you know, is that there are a lot of people out here who've had divergent thoughts in Christianity for thousands of years. <laughs> like this, you know, that there's a long history within the tradition, as Carla said, of people who've thought all sorts of things. Uh, you know, uh, when people freaked out about Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, I was one of those people that actually went and read through the bibliography and found, you know, all of these <laughs> people who have been sharing things for a long time, that this not a, it's not a new idea that God saves everybody. Mm. Uh, and and that really blew my mind because it was something that I, I grew up wrestling with uh, in my church was how can we say that God loves everybody and yet only saves a few, you know? Um, and that's just one of the things that I've wrestled with. And that's not to say that's not what everyone thinks, but that's just something that I've wrestled with personally. So I think uh, if people are in that space where there's like, how do we do this? I think it's remembering God and the divine is love and not fear. You have to move. I agree with Carla. You have to make mistakes. You have to move forward. You have to try something. That's life. You know, we fall over, we skin our knee, we realize, oh, it didn't break the bone. You know, that will heal in a couple of weeks. And then we get up and we try it again. Um, and I think so many people of faith, which is an interesting term, uh, are fearful when Hebrews 11 is a list of people who were, quite frankly, a little bit crazy <laughs> and did some did some incredibly, like, reckless and things but but they worked out or they didn't work out but they kept moving forward you know like one of my favorite characters in the bible is david not not for the obvious reasons that he's a musician or whatever but mainly because he's a man of blood and he's a he's a he's a man of war like he his whole life was in the wreckage of of that but he got up and he tried things and he did different things uh remember my dad pointing out at some point and i don't know what my dad's spin on it was but it, it stuck with me in a different <laughs> way that there's multiple times when uh, the scripture says that David went and worshipped in the temples of Baal, which is something you're specifically not supposed to do. So, like, he was the original kind of, like, you know, worship leader who did all the wrong things, you know, <laughs> and did did worship wrong and, and screwed it up. And yet the Bible says time after time that he's a man after God's own heart. So I'm just like, well, what's that about? Like, his life was a mess. He's a man of war. He didn't worship the right way. And yet somehow he's beloved by God. So... You know, I think you're allowed to make mistakes. I think you're allowed to, to do it your way. I think you're allowed to skin your knee and get back up again. And that's the whole point. Listening to Ben and Carla, I heard them both reminding us about something that's way too easy to forget. And it's this. You have a voice. Look, it's that simple and it's that hard. You have a voice. Don't run from it or hide it or silence it. Others may try to do that, and sometimes they'll do that in the name of God. People will try to mute your voice. But don't let them. 
Yours is a beautiful, distinctive, one-of-a-kind voice that the world needs right now. Don't let the critics around you or within you tell you otherwise. What would it mean for you today to share your voice, your idea, your vision, your passion? What would it mean to dare, to risk critique and vulnerability? Because I'm here to tell you, the world needs your voice now more than ever. Please don't forget to share it. You wrote a note and caught my eye It passed from hand to hand and worked its way on down the aisle Your mother dear, one step ahead Intervened and tore those tender words to shreds And I wondered what the preacher's daughter said After the dance, your sweet sixteen, you grabbed my hand and dragged me out behind the cemetery. Your mouth was warm, your cheeks were red, and then your daddy came roaring and we fled. And I wondered what. The preacher's daughter said Unexpressed 
I still wonder what the preacher's door to sell. I still wonder what the preacher's daughter said. I'm still wondering what the preacher's daughter said. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. And a special thanks to Carla Godwin and Ben Grace for sharing their time, ideas, and music with us today. You can find their song, Preacher's Daughter, on most streaming services. You can catch up with Carla's work at sheiscalled.com. And you can learn more about Ben's work and music at bengracemusic.com. We'll have links to all of this in the show notes. And to stay up to date with all the things that we have going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. And we'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think about the podcast, and please take a moment to let us know what you wonder about. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there is always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.